Morning. As you all can see, I still have my hair. So the goal for the youth was to hit 500 subs, and they were close. They got 427. So they're disappointed in that, but they'll get it next time maybe. I don't know. I know Haley's thankful, so that's all right. So just want to thank you all for your support in that as well. So I'm excited to be up here finally and actually get to preach to you all uh, this Sunday on this beautiful Sunday that God has provided. Now, I'm not typically the one who is extroverted or the one who's very outgoing in conversations, and some of you might know this through having interaction with me, and then some of you might think the opposite through my interaction when I'm around the youth, seeing that I'm much more extroverted then, especially when it comes to dodgeball. So... (laughs) So leading up to this day, I was thinking about and praying about what I would preach on today. And of course, being the college procrastinator that I am, I waited not last minute, but longer than I wish I would have. So it came to me then, and it occurred to me that I thought it would be good to preach on what the youth have learned this past summer, the lessons that we went over this past summer, and try to concise it all down to one sermon. And not only would this fill you all in on what the youth have been learning, but it will also be kind of a reteaching for the youth, because I know full well that they remember everything that they learned this past summer. So, of course, things would have to be a little bit different. I had to take out all the games and all the activities. (laughs) I know that brings some disappointment to some, but I don't think anyone would want to come up here and get water dumped on them on the stage. Or maybe some of you might, I don't know. But with that being said, the sermon that I'm going to preach to you today is spanning over the course of the summer, and it's going to be over the course of several lessons that we went throughout the summer and concised into one Sunday sermon. So if at the beginning I start slow, but then towards the end I start to pick up in my pace, it's because I'm realizing that I'm running out of time and there's just a lot of things going on. So just bear with me, and also for all the youth that are listening, I want you guys to take notes, because we are having a Kahoot quiz on this later. That is, that's not true, but. (laughs) So over the past summer, we had the opportunity to talk about the story of David and Goliath. And we had the material based off the book of Goliath Must Fall by Louis Giglio, who is a speaker and a Christian writer. Now again, this story might seem like review for the youth leaders and for the youth, but it's all new for the congregation, and I have a feeling it's still probably going to be new for most of the youth. Or at least a good reminder, that's my last youth joke. That's maybe. (laughs) We'll see how God leads me. But regarding the story of David and Goliath, we know that it's a pretty self-explanatory story. And on the surface... But when we look deeper, there's a lot more there that I also learned from going through the lessons that we did teaching the past summer, and there's a lot more that we might realize. So with that being said, the passage that we're going to be going through today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles or phones, you can turn them on or open them today as we get ready to dive into the Word. But before we dive into God's Word, let us come together and pray. Dear God, Thank you for this beautiful day you have provided for us. 
for the opportunity to be in your presence and worship you and discuss you, God. Lord, I ask that you would be with us during this time. Help us to all be focused on learning more about you and discussing your word. Lord, I pray that despite us looking at a familiar story that we have all heard of when we were in Sunday school or have all been familiar with, that you would still work with us to uncover what you are saying, God. We pray that what is talked about today and what is spoken today will resonate with those who may need it. Provide us with your guidance in your word. Amen. So I would like to point out again that today the material that we're going to be going over comes from the, les- comes from the lessons of David and Goliath and comes from the book of Louis Giglio's uh, Goliath Must Fall. So I just want to give credit where credit is due, where I got some of the material from. So the book of Goliath Must Fall by Louis Giglio offered us many different ideas of how we look at life and the giants in our lives. I looked at the different giants that we encountered in our lives and how so often human beings think that we are David within the story of David and Goliath, that we are out there taking on our own giants and slaying them uh, and defeating them on our own. And that we alone are enough to conquer the giants that we are faced with in our lives and that we are encountered with, and that God is behind our backs supporting us all the way. Now, while some of this may be true, a lot of it is actually quite the opposite. You see, to help expand upon this, we're going to be going through the giants that we talked about in the book over the summer. And we're also going to be diving deeper into the scripture and see how the giants there are both present in the story of David and Goliath and how they are present in our lives today. We're also going to see how we are not David in this story, but how Christ is David in this story. See, Jesus is the one who takes on our, on our giants in life, and Jesus is David out on the battlefield fighting Goliath, while we are the Israelites in the back. Now, some of you might be thinking, I would never be one to hide behind a challenge or hide behind one of these giants that we're going to discuss. And I would ask you to just stop lying to yourself, because one, we haven't even discussed any of the giants yet, and two, we all have had our struggles with these giants that we're going to be discussing about. So the giants in our lives are much bigger and harder to conquer on our own, compared to when we allow Jesus to defeat these giants for us. See, now before we dive into the giants, I think it's important and worth mentioning that I did have some help with the scripture reading, as you're about to find out. So I just want to thank you to those who were voluntold to help me with that. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah, in Ephes Ramim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. 
The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be your, our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So the first giant that we are going to be talking about today and that was discussed with the youth over the summer is this giant of fear. See, now when I think of the story of David and Goliath, I try to think of it more or try to picture it more of kind of a movie that I'm watching. So from what we just heard within the scriptures from verses 1 to 11, this is kind of setting up the setting in which this is all taking place. And that is within the valley of Elah, and here we have Saul and the Israelite army on the one side of the valley, and then on the other side we have the Philistines. See, so we have two sworn enemies facing each other with a valley in the middle, and obviously one cannot attack the other without climbing a hill, which strategically would put the army at a disadvantage and into the hands of the other. So in a sense, they are kind of at a ceasefire. And it is during this ceasefire that we are introduced to our antagonist of this story, Goliath. Now, the scripture doesn't hold back on saying how big and strong this individual was, how he was covered in armor of bronze carrying massive weaponry, and how, not one, and how he was not one to shy away from battle. So much so that he would come out amongst the ranks and taunt the Israelites and Saul, asking for a one-on-one -on -one battle, defying the ranks of the living God. And as we know, this struck fear into the hearts of the Israel army, leaving them at a standstill. Now, while Scripture doesn't shy away from telling us how big Goliath was and how strong he was, even with the Israel army having God on his side, it was still something that struck fear into the Israel army and Saul. But at the same time, it is setting up and foreshadowing the future as to David coming along and defeating this giant that the Scripture was so adamant in describing. And I'm sorry if I spoiled it for anyone, but that's it. For anybody... But when we see Saul, who despite being chosen, who is also the commander of God's army, lack faith in God, he was lacking so much faith in him that he was not willing out to go out and fight Goliath, being the leader that he was and the commander. This is just showing that fear, there is fear amongst Saul and the Israel army, and how one man is halting the army of God. Now is this displaying a weak God? Or is this displaying a weak, faith-based people? I think the answer is obvious, seeing that God was able to deliver his people out of many against-the-odd circumstances. And that would have been the same case with Goliath. See, the army of Israel had a weak, faith-based foundation. So the setting is set, and we are faced with the problem of a single combat between one true God and false gods. See, now, before I go any further, I just want to point, go back to the point of how Jesus is David in the story and how Christ was chosen to die for our sins, and yet Saul was also chosen. But when faced with one-on-one -on -one combat with Goliath, Saul failed to put his faith in God. 
the God who chose him to lead his armies. Saul was full of fear, and to be honest, honest, if I were faced with a man like Goliath, I think I too would be trembling in fear. Christ is the better representation of David in the story, because David comes along later in the story and in the section dealing with the giant of fear. We see that we are Saul because we deal, we struggle with this giant of fear and that David is Jesus. See, now at the time, the Jewish people were most likely the audience of this scripture that we're reading from First and Second Samuel. And the story of David and Goliath was a representation of the ongoing battle between good and evil, showing that God would eventually triumph in the end, despite seeing the evils, threats, and dangers of the world. See, for the armies at the time seemed to have no hope. Even God's chosen Saul had his head down. And how encouraging would that be if you were a soldier within the Israel army to see your commander have his head down? This text, however, however, also shows the opportunity that God does not always act right away to better show his glory. God likes suspense. God likes to build up tension. He likes to make a scene. So we are introduced to the antagonist of this movie, and all we need now is the protagonist. The giant of fear, when uncontrolled, can lead, us, can lead to a consumption of life, blinding us from what really matters, and that is the hope that comes from Christ who died for our sins. God is greater than our giants, and he can defeat the giant of fear. See, the giant of fear is present in our daily lives and is not an absence. See, growing up in high school, uh, for those of you that didn't know, I used to play football in high school, and I loved the sport. Something I didn't like about it was hitting people. So if you put those two together, it doesn't really work out well. And I was also a lot bigger then, too. So the position of being an offensive lineman, where all the hitting is happening, basically, didn't go well. But before each game, I would have this fear of the plays I would mess up, of the mistakes that I would make. And this was all before the games, and the, that fear would haunt me and daunt me about the mistakes that I would make. But that fear left me when I was playing the game. After the first snap, it just went away because I was in the moment. And I couldn't be fearful at that time, or else I would get knocked over. I still did, but <laughs> fear, it comes and goes, but can still be controlling when we might not even realize it. See, fear is like a domino effect that when we give it control, it knocks us down. The phrase, do not fear, is commanded over 350 times within the Bible. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that is a command that we that is obvious and evident that we should follow. You see, the antidote to fear is faith. Not faith in ourselves, but in Jesus. For he is David in the story. David was the youngest. The three elders followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, 
Take for your brothers an ephah of this purchased grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten Jesus to the commander of their thousands. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the encampment as the host was going out of the battle line shouting the war cry and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers as he talked with them, behold, the champion of the champions, the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. So this then leads us into the next giant that comes after fear, and that is the giant of comfort. And you might be asking yourself, well, how is comfort a giant that we struggle with? And I ask myself the same thing because I like staying in my bed um, and not getting up on Monday morning. But so from the verses that we just heard and we are shown a little bit more about the life of David, the life of this protagonist, and the life that he was living during the time of this war that was going on. See, Saul was the commander or was at the command of the army to which David's brothers were were serving and involved in at the time in the ongoing battle in the valley. So I would say battle very loosely, however, because from what we read and what we'll read later on, there was a little fighting happening for 40 days. We also see that David was being obedient towards his father as he would rise early in the morning to travel to the Israelite encampment and going back and forth between this encampment and his responsibilities of properly taking care of the herd. See, now David was making this commitment for 40 days, going back and forth, and obeying Jesse and serving through taking care of the flock compared to the Israelite army who allowed themselves to be taunted for 40 days by Goliath. The text even mentions that the Israel army would have a war cry each day, that they would get up each day to draw up to the battle line and do nothing. They would hype themselves up, getting ready to go, and then that Goliath man would come up and they would be quiet. And instead, they would hear of Goliath curse at them, curse at God, and then they would back away. And that is why, again, I mentioned the word battle very loosely, because there was little fighting actually happening. See, David was doing more each day than the Israelite army was, traveling from Bethlehem to the Valley of Elah each day. Now, I did some research, and the distance span for Bethlehem to the valley is 15 miles one way. So David, on estimate, was traveling between 30 miles each day to provide for his brothers and to watch the herd. So David wasn't in the most comfortable of spots because this probably consisted of a lot of exercise. And I only know a few insane people who find comfort in exercise. (laughs) But again, we're reminded that the Israel army would rise go to the front lines, listen to Goliath, and then call it a day and go back to their encampment where they would sleep and eat. 
So who is more comfortable in this scenario? The Israel army, who was comf- too comfortable being on their side of the battlefield, that they didn't even acknowledge what the enemy was doing towards God. But even if they did, they weren't doing anything about it. They still allowed for Goliath to go on his tangents for 40 days against them. So the giant of comfort is one that is deceiving as it can lead us to think that we are doing the work of God when reality is we are doing things that we're comfortable with. Just as the Israel army was comfortable with going out each day, standing there while Goliath mocked God. And like the Israel army and Saul, we too can get caught up in our own comfort. For Christ is not all about comfort, as it reads in John 15, verses 18 and 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Christ is always at work, even when we are not just like the Israelites were, at, were not at work, but David was at work. Taking care of his brothers, his father's flock, going back and forth between the battlefield and his home. Christ also did not have a ministry of comfort, especially during his ministry leading up to his death where he was taunted at, cursed at, and belittled by those around him. David was obedient and submitted to Jesse as Jesus did for for the Father. David cared for the well-beings of his brothers, just as Jesus did for when he died for our sins. Serving God is not the easiest path to follow, for the God that we serve is very countercultural to the world that we live in. And we can't expect to have victories over our giants when we continue to remain in our comfort zone or our comfort bubble Life does throw struggles our way, and it is a scary thought. But what is scarier is that some people's eternal gift will be robbed, not through types of sin, but robbed by comfort. So we must use the time that God has blessed us and start working on being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have done to see the battle. So the next giant that is present within the story of David and Goliath and is one that we all have faced at some point in our lives is this giant of anger. So here in the scriptures, we see that the antagonist is still out there mocking the Israelite army and the protagonist, David, can get towards the front lines and hear for the first time. And David is introduced to Goliath. Our protagonist meets the antagonist. So the stakes are shown as to what the reward is for the giant's defeat, but it is also revealed in the text, the heart of David, as he mentions the obvious about Goliath. 
seeing that the Philistine defies the army of God and David will not have any of it. It is also shown within the text that we have shown the heart of David's brother Eliab. Now, up until this point, David had been doing good. He's been obedient, has been following and obeying Jesse and bringing provisions to his brothers. Yet when David begins asking questions, his brother responds in a crude way. Ask him why David is even here. Eliab continues asking who is watching the flock that David left. Basically, getting up in David's business. All because David was stating truth. David has been showing love towards his brothers by bringing them provisions and traveling that long distance and checking in on them, to which Eliab ignores all showing his intentions of his hearts and showing the intentions of hearts between David and Eliab and shows why one was chosen and the other one was not in the chapter before. See, David is faced with belittling from his own brother in front of people. It's obvious that the army is trembling with this giant of fear. The army of Israel just sees death standing in front of them except for Eliab as he continues to have kindled anger against his brother, to go as far as to call call David's heart evil. Even though David had done no wrong, now this is most likely coming from holding a grudge from David being anointed and not himself. But this is also the anger of a man who won't step up to the challenge of going out and facing Goliath, but at the same time he doesn't want to be outdone by his younger brother who is thinking about going out there. This isn't out of care for David. Eliab is just angry at his brother. So anything he can do to get at him, he will. David had nothing to comment to Eliab except saying, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? See, David focuses on what really matters at the time, and that being the defiance that Goliath is giving towards the army of God. And this is a great example of not letting anger take control of your emotions and allowing it to lead you into sin. David turns the other cheek and not thinking much of what others are saying to him, the discouragement that he's facing and the backlash that he's getting from his brother. See, David knows his own heart more than those around him. And even when others tell him what his heart is, David knows his purpose. Just as Jesus knew his purpose and where his heart was, For he did not give in to the pressures of fitting into the beliefs of others at the time. But instead, he did a lot lot that was opposite of what society would have wanted him to do at the time. See, now obviously today, it's easy for us to want to give in to anger and allow for that anger to lead us into sin. When faced with the hatred from others, the best thing to do is to move on from it and to continue to love them. But that, again, is easier said than done. Doesn't always mean that you can easily turn away from them as David did with his eldest brother. See, our society is so focused on making people feel strong, making the individual feel strong, that they want them to stand up for themselves. So that when someone wrongs you, your first intention is to stand up for yourself. And I am in no means saying that it is wrong to stand up for yourself. But it's how we do it that matters. Throwing fists for standing up for yourself isn't the greatest solution, probably. 
And when standing up for yourself, sometimes the greatest thing to do is to do nothing and move on. See, anger has this way of blinding our judgment, making us think that, making us not think about how to act or what we say to others that we're angry at. Allowing for our anger to lead us into sin is sin. But it is okay to be angry because it is an emotion. A bad example of allowing your anger to control you, however, is found in Eliab, as Eliab was angry at David. And let his selfishness and his pride and anger take over him, allowing for this anger to control him and to belittle and discourage his brothers, not one-on-one, but in front of people. See, we must remember that we are not our own Avengers. And I am not talking about the Avengers from Marvel, like Iron Man or the Hulk. But I'm talking about getting revenge for yourself through anger. We are not our own Avengers, just as we are not our own giant slayers. We must believe that the God we serve, the God that loves us, is our Avenger and that those who persecute us and wrong us will face, face punishment someday. Which is, why we shouldn't be up, which is why it shouldn't be up to us to execute that punishment towards them today. When the words that David spoke were heard, they, rep- they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep a sheep for his father, and there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he is defined and armies the living. And David said, The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lions and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he has not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. He then took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His slung was in his hand as he approached the Philistine. So the final giant that we are faced with in life today and that is present within this story comes from the final parts of 1 Samuel chapter 17. So David was not only faced with this giant of anger, but also with this giant of rejection. Now personally, rejection is not something that I easily come by. I know that we all have had our experiences where it's also been hard. But David was showing courage that so many of us lack with these giants of life. Even in his youth, David was willing to do what the entire Israel army and Saul would not. So from the text, we see that David was not only faced with the anger, with anger and rejection of his brother, even though David had done a wrong, but he was also faced with the rejection from the leader of Israel at the time, Saul. 
Now, in Saul's defense, it had been 40 days of no one going forward to face Goliath. And even after Saul made promises for the one that would defeat him, this, defeat this giant, no one within the ranks stepped forward. So when Saul is finally hearing of a person named David who is willing to go out and fight, it is obvious that he would call for him and want him and want to meet him, only to be disappointed that David was a youth. For when Saul first saw him, he thought that he, this couldn't be real, that this youth could not go out and face this giant who has been a warrior since his youth and been fighting. This youth could not do this fight. From our perspective, we know what happens in the story. But from Saul's perspective at the time, could we really blame him for his doubt? However, Saul was a man, and David was a youth. Saul also was a man experienced with fighting, and yet he still rejected the idea of him going out and fighting Goliath. So this again points back to the lack of faith that Saul had in God compared to David's faith in God. Even though David was a shepherd boy and he was still in his youth, Saul had not been expecting that the victory would come through a youth. So I've been waiting for 40 days for someone to come up within the ranks to fight Goliath, and no one has. And this is including Saul, who you think, being God's chosen, would rise up to the challenge and go out there and fight. But it was unnatural for a youth to be there and go out and fight one-on-one with a giant warrior. But then again, the God that we serve has worked in many unnatural ways. I also love this whole story and the text that also points to how God uses the youth to display his glory and greater purpose. For in 1 Timothy 4.12 it reads, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. This shows that God, the God that we serve, works in ways that we're not used to and that people might not expect or even reject. This giant of rejection can keep us from seeing the plans that God has for us, for the purposes that he might have for us or for others around us. Because we are rejecting the idea that God can work in ways that we are not used to. Going back to the text, we see that David, however, can handle his own, and even when faced with the rejection from others. He proves that by describing how he has defended his flock from the greatest of predators. As it states, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of a bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This is such a mic drop moment for David when talking to Saul. Because not only is David willing to defend God from being cursed at by this giant but it also shows the boldness that David has in himself and in standing up for himself by those who may reject him. This is also the same case for when David comes face to face with Goliath. Later in the text, for even Goliath rejects David. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Goliath had this assumption that he would be facing this mighty warrior and not this shepherd boy. 
and proceeds to call David out for his youth, but is later met with a stone in the forehead, ending this defiance against the living God. The patience that David had with those around him who are rejecting him is something that we also should try to display and something that Christ also displayed. For Christ was patient with those who would belittle him and patient with those who would reject him. He didn't snap back in anger. He didn't snap back in rejection. Instead, David, like Jesus, shows boldness in defending both himself and God. David also doesn't reject the person that he is or the image that he is made of. For in preparation for the battle, David did not accept the armor that Saul was placing on him before going into battle. David knew he wasn't the typical warrior and that he knew this armor wasn't for him. It was also too big for him. But David had all faith in the Father above and did not reject the plans or purpose that God had in store for him. So we see that the giant of rejection was very present within the story. But another sad area that it was present in is the Israel army. Rejection is found amongst the own ranks of the army of God and is also found in the churches of God today. For there are many who have been hurt by those within the church and others who avoid it because they feel they are not good enough. And this is the last thing that the church should be, a place of rejection. For Jesus was open to those whom the Pharisees would try to avoid or belittle. So if Christ was open to them, should not we? We also ought not to worry about the rejection that we may face being a follower of Christ. For this is a lifestyle that is, again, very countercultural to the world around us. Nor should we inflict the rejection on those who are starting to tip their t- or dip their toes into the waters of Christianity. Instead, we should welcome them, encourage them, and show grace towards them, no matter what their past was or mistakes that they made. Because we also have been there, we also have made mistakes, and we all are imperfect and all are sinners, but we are saved by faith through the grace of God. There's also a lot of rejection that is dealt with in the Bible. It is found within the early church. There's rejection of Jesus as the Son of God. There's also rejection found in the prophets whom God sent to his people to try to help them, and they rejected them. There were also outcasts and rejects that we now call today the disciples of Jesus. That Jesus still chose to take with him in his ministry outcasts that were used by God. Now the Pharisees or higher-ups that were considered to be the greatest back then again shows, shows that God, the God we serve, is countercultural to the world that we live in for he did not use them as he used the disciples. Now it can be easy for us to want to give into that pool of wanting to fit into society and keep up with the norm and keep up with the latest trends, but allowing Jesus, but following Jesus is more about becoming less and less of the norm. This means we shouldn't fear rejection. In fact, we should welcome it, for the only rejection we should fear is God's. When we are rejected by others because of our faith, faith and we are choosing not to follow a certain trend of society because we are following the truth, only strengthens our relationship with God even more. See, value is not found in this materialistic world. It is, found in, it is not found in social media, social status. 
For we are not images of human love, but instead of God's love. We are his work, and we are made by him. We are wonderfully made in the image of God. And we should not be worried about fitting the image of this world when we are made in that image of God. See, it is better for us to face rejection and believe in the truth of Jesus Christ than it is to reject Christ and fall into the pressures of this fallen world that we live in. For God is bigger than rejection, and Jesus is facing our giants for us and conquering them. And all we need to do is believe in him. So now as the team comes forward, let us be reminded of David, the youthful, faithful example that no one thought would be able to take down a giant. Showing the true power of God working through his creations when we have faith in him. Too often we can see ourselves as David taking on our giants in life. But it is quite the opposite, for Jesus is the one who has taken on our giants in life. All we need to do is put our faith in him and trust that he will continue to fight those battles. For God works in unnatural ways that we are not used to or that we might not even expect. For he used David to defeat a giant, defeat a giant just as he used Christ to die on the cross for us. Team.